Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. My friend and I were sitting, enjoying our time. We decided it would be a good idea to visit with her family, so we went into the living room and ended up telling childhood stories. Her dad went outside to smoke, and the next thing we know, he steps inside telling us to hurry, it's a UFO. So of course, all of us being junkies of the supernatural, her mom, sister, and I jump up from our seats running outside. I had never seen a UFO in my life, only ever reading stories online. Before I begin, I'm a big believer in trying to prove or disprove things, always wanting to be certain before I make a statement about anything. This shined as bright as a planet in the sky, or something like that. Starting from the right of the sky, it traveled across. Not as one, but multiple. And it kept multiplying. It was incredibly bright, brighter and bigger than anything I've ever seen in the sky, and I've watched the night many times. I cannot explain this very well with my words. I do not live near a military base or any government study thing, as far as I know. I've looked to see if NASA was doing anything. I have been researching, trying to check off any other activity that it could have been. When my dad retired from the American military, my parents bought a nice house that had been built in the 1920s. It had all that beautiful old art deco look, beautiful hardwood floors, crystal chandeliers, a beautiful big fireplace, and a ghost. Now my dad was pretty much the only one in my family who wasn't a believer. He acknowledged odd things but wasn't as into paranormal stuff as the rest of us me and my mom, and to a lesser extent my younger brother. They had bought this house because it was in their price range. The couple who had it wanted to do a fast sale. Funnily enough, not because of the ghost, but because they were having a very nasty divorce. The sort of nasty where my parents went to sign the contract. They were having a screaming fight in the living room over who would keep the cat because neither wanted it. So my dad took it. Shortly after we moved in, I got the feeling something was there. It's not like psychic or anything, but just the feeling you get when you walk into someone else's house. It's not your house you're just visiting. It was still welcoming and nice, so I wasn't worried. I had lived in other active houses and inactive houses, so at 17 I knew what the feeling meant, and since it wasn't very threatening, I just let it be. The only time I got annoyed was when it pushed a pile of papers off my computer desk. It's pretty well known ghosts can short out electronics and I was worried about my computer so I said clearly, I don't mind you being here but 
Please don't play with my computer. I don't want it getting messed up or anything with energy. It's not your fault electronics and energy just don't mix. Whenever anything happened in my room, after that it was never near my desk. My mom was the one who taught me to address them calmly and nicely since it's just another person after all. I didn't know what it was for until a couple of years after we moved in. Like I said, we had hardwood floors all throughout. Cold in winter, I was wearing socks and unfortunately socks on varnished wood stairs is a stupid idea. Predictably, I fell. I managed to catch the banister but I wrenched my wrists pretty badly. So sitting at the bottom of the stairs, breathing through the pain before testing if I was okay to walk, I felt something on my wrist. I fully expected one of our dogs, so I looked over, but no one was there. I could feel the hands on my wrist. It was kind of cold. Not freezing, but sort of like someone who had been outside on a cold day without gloves. Then it was gone. I think she was trying to make sure I was okay, but I didn't know it was a she until a few months later. I'd had a real late shift at work. I was in retail at the time and was exhausted. I didn't process at first that when I unlocked the front door, my dogs weren't running and barking or anything. Now the staircase was directly across from the front door. I don't know why I looked up then at that moment, if I heard something or indistinct, but at the top of the stairs were my two dogs and between them was a little girl. She was petting both of them, happy as a clam, and then she was gone. I think maybe I blinked. The dogs stayed there for a moment longer before they got up and rushed down the stairs with their usual welcoming barks. I never did see her like that again, but I felt her a couple of more times before we left. First when me and my brother swapped rooms, and once when I'd had the first of several very, very bad fights with my boyfriend, I felt that same hand just rubbing my back reassuringly. My mom had seen her and tried talking to her, but never spoke, not sure why. We knew she knew and recognized us, so she wasn't like an echo. She was a fully aware ghost. If I had to guess, I'd say she was eight or nine. We talked about looking into the home's history, but between work and my dad's depression from retirement and my brother being in high school, it just never happened. So I don't know if she was part of the house or the land. The area we lived in was the historical district all big old fancy houses. But she never made us feel unwelcome. She never did anything nasty or broke anything. Mostly liked to move books and papers. I think she liked to read or something. I like to think she was happy to have a nice family in her home that didn't mind her there and of course our dogs who were pretty calm about her. I think because we had them from puppies so they had always been around her and just accepted her as part of the family. The town I lived in was hit by a terrible flood shortly after I moved, so sometimes I wonder if she's okay. The house is still there, though. A lot of the original stuff has gone from the basement and first floor. Hopefully, though, this hasn't done any damage to her. It must suck being stuck as a ghost, but she was a good girl, so I like to hope she's okay. My mom and dad split when I was about two. My dad eventually ended up with his current wife and they moved quite far away. 
my brother and I, B, would go up and see him once a month. When he first moved away, he lived in this big house that was set up really odd. You'd enter the house in a tiny hall with the front room on the right, a dining room to the left, and you'd walk through the dining room to the kitchen which had the back door to the garden, as well as having the bathroom and toilet attached to the kitchen. Upstairs was my dad's bedroom, to the right, above the front room, and to the left was a really long hallway. About halfway down the hallway was my brother's room, to the left if you were just walking down the hall, and at the end you'd come face to face with the door to my room. So the story goes that the place was haunted. I was reasonably young, say about 11 or 12. They didn't want to tell me about it because they thought I'd get scared, which I understood. I found out later of the things that had happened to them whilst in the home. Stepmom had an incident where she was in her bedroom doing her hair in the mirror. She looked up in the mirror and saw a young girl standing behind her with her arms crossed over her chest. My stepmom squealed, closed her eyes, and put her head in her hands. When she looked back up, the girl was gone. There was plenty of other instances of doors opening and closing, footsteps up and down the long hall, knocking about in the attic as well as the dogs acting weird, and we had two huge Rottweilers. One day, I was staying the weekend and felt really sick. My family had made plans to go out, but I didn't feel up to it. They decided to leave me at home on my dad's PC in the care of the dogs. They didn't want to let me be alone in case something happened. Whilst I was playing on the PC, the dog went really weird. They were normally quite docile, really friendly and extremely loving. Well, they started running about the front room, barking. Every once in a while, they would stop and just aggressively growl at the fireplace. I stopped and tried to calm them down, but as I knelt down next to them, one of them turned and bit me on the face. He was immediately apologetic, licking and whimpering whilst asking for cuddles, but... I was scared and hurting a bit. He didn't even break the skin, so it wasn't a bad bite and felt like I was going to throw up. I ran to the bathroom and the family got home. I told them what happened and they looked really concerned, but told me not to worry about it and kept an eye on us. A little something about my room. It was dark and really small. It had a tiny window as well as two huge wardrobes in the corners. I never really felt comfy in that room. I hated being able to see the bedroom and I have no idea why. I'd often read in bed and then try and sleep on the floor, which is really odd now that I think back on it. I just couldn't get comfy in that bed and always felt really unsafe. Later that night, we all went to bed. I liked to read before going to sleep, so I was reading to myself and slowly drifting off to sleep when the bedroom started screaming. I know that sounds weird but there was just this insanely loud scream coming from the room. I have no idea what was going on, so I immediately panicked. I mean, who wouldn't? I tried to open my door and it wouldn't budge. I could hear my brother on the other side of the door also trying to open it, but I couldn't make out what he was saying. The screaming was too loud. I heard thumps outside the door. I had no clue what was happening and just kept trying to open the door whilst crying now. Suddenly, the screaming stopped and the door opened. My brother, dad, and stepmom were just standing there staring at me. 
I was sobbing and my brother hugged me and my dad asked why I was screaming and whether I saw the girl. I said I wasn't and my brother confirmed that he could hear me saying what through the screaming. I stayed in my brother's room that night. The next time I went to my dad's, he had moved homes. I hear the other stories years later. I'd heard other stories about the fireplace being pulled out and things being found, but to be honest, they sound a bit far-fetched to me. I know the above sounds the same, but I know it happened because I lived it. So last night I responded to a user that seemed to encounter Puka in Scotland. Let slip that I've seen weird stuff there and people started asking questions. I fell asleep and now I'm awake. I figured I could make a separate post as to not hijack his thread. Disclaimers, I'm on mobile. And the story is kind of long. It was a while back so details may be skewed. I'm not doing it on purpose. I also have a memory issue and some things have changed slightly. I am a bit prone to hallucinations when sleep deprived so I try to keep that in mind. However, other people said they saw something that correlates with my story. I try to keep it to the things I remember most vividly and sort through it for clarity. I was 13 and went to go visit a lover of my mom's with her for Christmas. We were near but not on the Edinburgh area. Can't remember the village. L, the lover, wanted us to go meet her son by the reindeer pen they had in the park. She said, take a left at the church, it's easy to spot. We are Catholic Americans, everything looked like a church except for the church, the only modest non-Gothic building in the area. We eventually found it. L's son was pretty young at the time, so she had to take him to the bathroom. Mom and I went to go play in the dog park park that had dogs, not necessarily designated area, near it, so we all see the reindeer together. There was this huge, absolutely gorgeous Irish wolfhound there, and I was infatuated with him, like a great Dane wearing a sweatshirt. His owners let me play ball with him, and I threw it just a bit too far. Being the upstanding citizen I thought I was, I walked off into the woods to find it. Mom was helping Elle's son in the bathroom, I didn't think I went too far into the woods. I could have sworn I could see the skyline when I grabbed the ball. I lived in a swampy area and was overly cautious of going too far. If I couldn't find it in ten minutes, I'd just give the owners five pounds and some apologies. I got the ball, turned around, and the festival sounded like it was behind me. Odd, I never took any previous turns. Turned again and the music was forward, so I kept moving. Something felt wrong so I stood still. The music moved, but I didn't. So I moved opposite of it, like a scientific experiment. Next thing I know, there's this crumbled old stone junction, just two short walks in a floor with a campfire almost in embers, a coffee pot, and two dry patches. It was weird because this spot had a warm look to it, like the sky overhead was golden. When I entered the forest, it was cloudy blue. I sit down and try to warm up. I'm a cream puff when it comes to the cold. I take some small twigs, a couple of leaves, and tend to the fire. Check the coffee pot and it's empty, so I put a bottle of water from my bag into the corner, in case whoever was hanging out got thirsty. 
there was a really hungry looking old man that comes around the corner. Bare bones clothing, no shoes, shaky, and his face looked famished, like a puppy sitting in front of a steak. He gives me a toothy grin and his teeth looked like mossy bark. I wasn't scared, I was worried because he looked cold, so I take off my scarf and hat and hang it on him. His laugh was a deep rumble, like a bullfrog, and I couldn't help but giggle too. We turned around and there was some lady calling my name and gesturing me to walk in her direction. I figured mom sent her and started in her direction. The old man stopped me and grunted, shaking his head in a, I don't know, dad says no kind of way. He put his hand on my cheek and pointed me to go to a different way and ushered me off. I take about ten steps and I'm back out. I check my watch and only a few minutes have passed. That wolfhound I was playing with bounds past me and barks once or twice and proceeds to herd me back to his people. The owners see me with the ball, ask if I'm okay. I say yes and look back. The wife of the owner says I have a muddy handprint on my cheek and takes her scarf and tries to clean it off while the dog owner grunts. Hey, you like climbing trees a lot, huh? Confused, I looked up and see my hat and scarf hanging in the tree line. I didn't go back to reclaim it, just ran to go find my mom after a quick K-thanks-bye ordeal. Never told her. What felt like an hour had passed in a few minutes. It was very odd. This started when I was 17. I joined an amateur beauty contest in our small town. I began talking to myself at the mirror for hours, a practice speech or just being comfortable with myself and that self-confidence building stuff. I became vain, pretty obsessed with how I look with a full-body mirror being my companion most of the time. After the pageant, I was myself again and that normal version of me does not stay more than five minutes in front of a mirror. This is when my parents, relatives, and neighbors started seeing someone that looks exactly like me in our house. Over the years, here are some scenarios, always on our second-story house. Early in the morning, Mom checks on me and I'm still sleeping. She goes down and I'm already sitting at the sofa. Runs to my room, I'm still sleeping. Runs to the living room, nobody's there. Mid of summer 2010, I was convincing my brother to help me set up the trampoline in our backyard. Dad walks in. He claims he just saw me standing by the staircase staring at our pictures on the wall. He said he offered some snacks, but I didn't say anything nor bothered looking in his direction. We all went to the said location. Nothing. One evening, my grandma was staying for dinner and she said she saw me go upstairs and she called my name many times, but... I didn't even bother to stop or look at her. A minute passed. I emerged from the bathroom and asked her why she was calling me. Every other member of my family was at the kitchen making dinner when this happened. I started working after college and was living two and a half hours away from home at my apartment. Relatives will see me at my bedroom window staring outside and when they call out my name, you will suddenly turn your back and shut the window close. Exactly my cousin's word as she called me after the incident adding it was very unusual the manner in which I acted and it coming from me. 
Sometimes neighbors will ask my mother if I was visiting or spending the weekend, and that will terrify my mom. Apparently when I'm away, she will not show herself to members of the family and will just stay near the window, based on stories from relatives and neighbors. Mom and Dad see me at one place when they just saw me where they came from. Their technique, call me or ask me anything. This doppelganger doesn't speak at all, but most of the time storms out and smashes doors, especially when I come running because I am eager to see her. The most recent incident was last Christmas when I was home spending time with my family. My brother knocking on the bedroom door because it's time to open our Christmas presents and he just saw me walk inside my room and shut the door behind me. Right after he emerged from his room to fetch his phone's charger. I was actually downstairs with our parents waiting for him so we can start opening our presents. He was so disturbed by this event because it's his first time seeing my doppelganger and even begged all of us to check my room but, as usual, nothing there. Over time, my parents got used to this, but my grandma warns me every now and then, and then because she said it's a bad omen and also reprimands me every time she remembers the reason, as per old folks here, it's my vanity and endless talking to the mirror that triggered this thing. They said on my case, this thing was formed due to extreme self-obsession and left the mirror when I stopped talking to it. Also, its main purpose is to replace me. They perform some ritual around the house, including offering of a live animal, usually chicken, annually so that it doesn't get strong and stays calm since they can't make her leave. Side note, she also can't leave the house. I used to be pretty freaked out about this. Used to dream about two versions of me or someone that looked exactly like me but is constantly trying to hurt me. I made myself believe that is only because of the stories old folks tell me or maybe overthinking. I am skeptical whether to believe them or not. I never saw herself and I'm turning 28 soon so that's more than 10 years of a safe, happy and healthy life of me avoiding the doppelganger's existence. Halloween when I was small, my mom took my siblings, my best friend and I trick-or-treating. We all piled into the van and started with the stores. It was early, possibly no later than four. She would take us out about an hour before my dad got out of work so we could get all the kitty spots out of the way. On this specific trip, one of the tires ended up popping and we had to stop at the local mechanic in our small town. His shop isn't very big and has a very small part of the lot. So my mom ended up parking in the open area next to his building. This wasn't a problem because the building next to his was abandoned and had been for many years. It is a large four-story structure. Having been, in its prime, a hotel and later, towards the end, a retirement home. My mom told me and my friend to stay put and watch my sleeping brother while we wait for my dad. She let my older sisters walk to the nearby houses that were in her view from the corner of the street where she stood. She had parked fairly close to the building and from in the suburban I could see the emergency staircase. I could also see inside the building. My best friend of the time was older than me by about three years and due to this she knew a few things I didn't know about where we were. 
Her sister had told her stories about the place, and none of them were very nice. She began to tell me a few ghost stories about it. I half listened and chose to continue to peer into the windows, and that's when I saw someone. It looked like a man. He saw me and began to wave at me with a big smile. I cut my friend off asking if she could see the man. She looked out of the vehicle and up into the window I pointed at. Nobody. I don't see anybody. I couldn't believe her. I figured maybe she couldn't see the window I was talking about. I dragged her out of the suburban and toward the stairs. The man had managed to work his way down a flight in the time it took us to get out. I pointed to him again. There. Do you see him? She looked at me like I was crazy. No. She was getting scared. She told me she was going back inside and walked away from me. I turned back towards the man. He was an older gentleman on the thicker side, wearing a white t-shirt and grey sweats. He had a comb over and a bulbous nose. He seemed very eager to talk to me. Hi there, little girl. He smiled wider before and continuing. Can you see me? I thought that was a silly question. Yes? I yelled back to him. I can see you. He seemed over the moon about me replying. He saw I had a bag in my hand. Are you trick-or-treating? I got some candy up here. I got a little nervous, feeling like I was doing something wrong. I'm not supposed to talk to strangers, and Mom said not to take candy from strangers either. He seemed to get the slightest bit irritated by my response. Hey, listen here, kiddo. My name is John Meitner. I'm 65 years old. I used to be in the military when I was younger, and now I live here. He smiled at me very kindly once again. So now tell me about you. I told him my first name and the grade I was in, and how old I was too. Well, there you go. We aren't strangers anymore. Now you can come and get this candy. I took a step forward, honestly thinking about climbing up the stairs and getting it. He noticed my hesitation. He seemed to get a little more desperate. Come on, kiddo. I've got some really nice candy up here and toys, too. Oh, I've got all sorts of toys up here. Something seemed off. I was getting scared. I started to shake my head no. Oh, that's okay. I think I've had enough candy and I have toys at home. He pleaded with me again. Come on, kid. You're the first person I'm going to give a candy to today. They're really good. I'll, I'll give you a whole bunch. I was really swaying at this point, but I didn't want to get in trouble, at least not by myself. I was really smart, though, and I figured if he really wanted to give me candy, there was definitely another solution. Well, mister, why don't you uh, come down here and give me some? He got visibly frustrated. I, I can't. I can't leave this place. I would, but got really bad knees and the stairs hurt me. He forced a big smile. But you are young. I bet you could sprint right up those stairs and get all the goodies I got here. I couldn't. I really wanted to, but I couldn't. Decidedly, I responded. That's okay. I don't want the candy. It's okay. I think maybe I should just go now. He seemed pretty mad at my response. 
He yelled at me as I opened the door and began to crawl back in the vehicle. You're missing out, kid. You're making a big mistake. I closed the door, feeling really anxious. I turned to my friend and said, Did you see this man? He said he has a lot of candy. I didn't want to go by myself, though, but... I mean, if you go with me... She got scared again. She grabbed my hand and said, There's no one there. You were talking to yourself. Stop joking. You're really starting to scare me. I decided to let her think I had been joking because I realized the whole time I thought she was pretending not to see him. Maybe he really wasn't there. This was in 2007. I was in my mid-twenties and would go and look for places for my friends and me to party. Not bars or houses, but just places that seemed cool to hang out. My friend Scott brings up that he knows of this place called the Haunted Mansion. I was never a believer in ghosts and say it sounds like a blast, let's check it out. I instantly fell in love. It's a few miles from Van Buren in Riverside, California. Driving up there, there's no sidewalk or concrete, it's all dirt for about an eighth of a mile with some old dead plants that were more than likely at one time a large garden with dense trees on both sides. The mansion itself is on a vista with a steep round driveway up to what used to be a fountain in a circular driveway, a burnt down mansion with some standing but burnt framework, a pool and a garage that had a hole in it with a fire pit in the middle. So it was great for the California winter. Going there once every other week or so depending on if the usual faces get the time off work to come out. So we had gone there quite often over four months. After a few nights, Scott told me the story of what happened to the family that lived there. They had an unstable kid that one day lost it, grabbed a shotgun, killed his siblings and mother, and when the father drove home, lastly he burned the house down before taking his own life. I never really cared and said, oh, telling some cheesy ghost stories, huh? I would eat those words. One night, my ex had gone to look at the area as it is interesting and got really lost. When I walk and finally found her an hour later, she's a mile away and when we get back was acting really strange. Not just a little odd, but grabbing her bag for the night and threw it in the fire. Weird. I struck it up to her being really drunk at the time, but looking back was more than likely a form of possession. The night of the big encounter, I decided to bring a few more friends than normal, so we had about 13 people there. Other than that, nothing's different, we were doing our normal thing, drinking beer and a few of us smoking. One of my friends I've known for a long time, I will call Daniel, walks off and says he wants to take a look at this place and that it seems really cool. I say, yeah man, be careful, not to get lost as my ex did. Dan says no worries, he won't go too far, it's hard to miss the fire. Scott at this point is complaining that he might have an asthma attack. I never knew you had an asthma attack, I say. He replies, I don't normally, I keep an inhaler as it doesn't happen that much, but it decided to happen tonight. As we'd all been drinking, can someone help, I ask. He says if I feel worse, I'll call Pat. After, say, about an hour or so, Dan comes out from the darkness and asks for me to come with him. 
I walk with him and he is talking about how he doesn't want to freak everyone else out. He says he keeps seeing this car doing strange things and is wondering if anyone else is coming. I say no, who is here is all that is coming. We stand there for about ten minutes. I see a car's headlights turn on, move forward five or so feet, stop and turn the lights off but there are no tail lights on it. Another ten or so minutes the same thing happens. I ask Dan, are you going to hang out here for a while? He says, yeah, this place is really cool. I hand him a few beers and he goes about his own thing. Scott, that has been having problems, asks if he can use my cell phone as his has no signal and needs to call Pat. He's really going to have an attack. I figured if he's going to come out, he might be able to see that car and ask him to check it out on his way up. About half an hour passes and my friend that was on the lookout is back at the party as the car is still moving slowly but not really doing anything. Pat arrives, gives Scott his inhaler and after he is a bit better I ask Pat if he saw anything. He says no but he'll check again on his way out. I call him when he drives off and I explain when you are almost at the exit it will be at the end of the trees and on your right. He says no I see nothing at all. I'm looking at him from the vista and he is even directly facing where the car was last pointed with his brights on. I say thanks to Pat for helping out Scott again and drive home safely. At this point I have told everyone what is going on and that the car more than likely moved on but we check it out every 30 or so minutes to make sure he was gone. After a few hours Dan, Scott and I go to check. The car is returned and it has started doing its creeping up thing again so we stand there. The others have been waiting to see this strange car so Dan walks off to get them while I watch. Four or five of them come up. The car has become a bit more frequent with its creeping at this point. The other friends are saying maybe they did not know we were all up here and maybe it's the cops. Then all of a sudden it turns onto the dirt road and not stopping. We all freak out as we think it is the cops. We all start running, I tell the ones that are driving to turn off their headlights so we are harder to see. We drive down the roundabout, I am the second car out of the three. I in the front car see lights, not in front of us, but going up above us on the right side, going up a nearly sheer cliff. We turn our headlights on and haul it out of there. I have the fastest car in the group and book it to the front first. I went so fast that I can hear my tires squealing on the dirt. I never knew that could happen. I am almost at the end of the dirt and am looking down the road on the right side as we get to the end. I see a car coming down the road not far enough so I can make a safe turn in time. While I wait for the car to pass, I check left for another possible car and I see smoke coming out of the ground. No embers, nothing. The other friends see this too and... Finally, the car passes, and we all get out of there. I know a lot of people think that this is a hoax because it's in Scotland, but I don't know how to explain this. I'm extremely familiar with Wendigos, Skinwalkers, Fleshgates, all that stuff, and there is probably a non-Native American possibility that I'm unaware of, but... The only explanation to me is Skinwalker. I'm a teenager, won't disclose age, and I go to a public high school in Perthshire, Scotland. It's mostly a rural area with 
mostly towns, villages, and just houses dotting the landscape, although there are two major cities in my area. The high school I go to is in a medium-ish sized town, and for privacy reasons I will not disclose its name. Not many people have many paranormal encounters, although a few people claim to have seen ghosts and whatnot. I live in a largest house in the middle of a field with my family. It's not too far from the town I go to school in, but I usually take the bus in just because I'm a lazy git. Sometimes me and my mates, let's call them E, J, and C, take a path through a nearby forest to come back to my place where we just play video games and that sort of stuff. This particular night, my parents were out of town and we decided to drink a bit of booze that we had in the mini-fridge in my room. I didn't try much, I'm not much of a drinker and beer's not my thing, or C's really. E and J, however, they went all out. They got really late, or rather early, and they decided to leave and head home. I said bye to them, then headed back up to my room to play some more games. After about half an hour later, I heard a loud banging on my door. It was J and E. I let them in and they started panicking. C goes home a different way than them. He lives a bit closer to me than the others. E and J said that they were walking through the woods and they saw a tall, skinny-looking bloke pelting it towards them. They panicked and legged it back to my house while the skinny fellow gave chase. My mind went back to when another friend, somewhat of a paranormal buff, told me about wendigos and skinwalkers. I called 999 and said that a prowler was lurking around our house and had chased my mates back to my house. I gave the operator my address and said that they'd have a car or two to my house in about an hour and a half. Apparently there was a big traffic incident. In the meantime, she said, arm yourselves, lock all doors and windows and lock yourself in a room. We did that, grabbing knives from the kitchen and barricading ourselves inside my bedroom. After a while, we heard heavy footsteps around our house, and thinking it was the police, I peered out the window. What I saw was much worse. It was E. It looked exactly the same as her. I knew that she was sitting, crying in my room. I freaked out and saw me. What is that thing? Whatever was outside could speak, and it sounded exactly like Jay. It was a skinwalker. I remember the description from my other horror weirdo friend. It looked like my friend, but sounded like my other friend. It must have been confused, and that made it scarier. We heard sirens, and the thing ran off into the woods. We told the police officers everything, and they checked it out. The officers left, and after saying that the woods were cleared, they muttered something about stupid prank callers. After they left... We heard an inhuman shriek, but still sort of human-like. We didn't sleep at all that night. I believe that what we saw was a skinwalker. I hope to God Almighty that I never have to face that bloody thing again. However, if I do, I'll make a follow-up and let you know. To start off by saying I don't believe in ghosts myself. I grew up very superstitious, but once I grew into adulthood, I didn't think paranormal explanations made sense, and I'm still agnostic to the existence of spirits. Still, paranormal encounter stories excite me, and I love hearing them and suspending my disbelief. 
Anyways, when I was younger, I had a great aunt who was a psychic. Not the typical kind that read your fortune or anything. She was a staunch Catholic and basically just knew stuff she had no way of knowing. She saw it as a gift from God. To give an example, one time when my mom was pregnant with my older sister, she experienced some bleeding and went to the hospital. Only her and my baby knew she was there, but not long after, she received a call from her aunt asking, What's wrong with your baby? There are more examples, but this is the only one I can remember off the top of my head. Her daughters, my mom's cousins, thought they had a bit of that gift too, though not as prominent. These relatives lived up in the Adirondacks, and every year during the summer we used to visit them. I guess when I was around three we planned another trip up. But one morning, about a week before the trip, my mom woke up, opened her eyes, and for a split second saw a white figure at the foot of her bed. She thought it was weird, but said nothing, until it happened again, and again, every day for a week. Finally, she told my dad, who froze and said, I've been seeing that too. Weirded out, they continued with the trip as planned. During a night around a campfire, they told my mom's cousin about it and her immediate response, Watch your children. Someone's telling you to watch your children. That spooked them, but they didn't know what to make of it. Some time into the trip, we as a family went to the cemetery where my mom's mom was buried to visit graves. I remember none of this, but from what I'm told, I stood with my dad, who was a little ways away from my mom and sister. He was busy with something and I asked where mom was. Over that hill. He told tiny toddler me and pointed to a small hill in the cemetery. I saw the bigger hill the road followed. Eventually my mom and dad met up again but asking where I was. Panic set in. My mom suddenly remembered the fireside conversation with her cousin. They didn't watch me and I went missing in the Adirondacks. And they still haven't found me to this day. Just kidding. After a lot of panicking and searching, they found me sitting outside a gas station up the road, crying my little eyes out. Now, the moral of the story, if you see spooky white figures in your room, don't let your toddlers wander around graveyards in the mountains. Honestly, there's some big animals and weird people up there, so I was lucky. I am at work right now as I'm writing this. I was in the bathroom and the lights just turned off. There's no one else in here with me. I was in our bomb shelter earlier. I work at a radio station. It was also here during war times, so we have a bomb shelter and the door closes behind me and locks. I had to text my mom to come and open it for me. Since I'm only 14, I work with my mom. She was so confused as I told her everything. She told me that they had a radio DJ die in one of the studios, backing up with more people telling me the same thing. It made me remember that I saw the studio door, the studio that she died in, close on its own the other day. I told my mom about it after I saw it. If you guys want more updates, just ask and I'll provide them if anything else happens. Update 1. So I'm home now. As I'm writing replies to you guys, I look down at my arms dripping with blood. If someone can tell me how to add pictures, I'm new to Reddit, I'll show you guys. 
Update 3. It's 1 in the morning, and I'm hearing stuff in the hallway. It sounds like screaming. I don't have my phone and my laptop doesn't record. It's very faint, but it's there. No doubt about that. The cut on my arm is just getting deeper and deeper for some reason. It's very random. I'm thinking it may just be my dog, but my dog doesn't hiss like that. I don't know. There's an explanation for it, right? There has to be. God, I hope there is. Update 4. It's Sunday, March 17th, 2019. The time is currently 8.06pm. I've been looking up what may have caused the cut and there's no logical explanation as to what exactly happened. It keeps opening up wider and wider like every hour. I got another cut today. It hasn't been very eventful other than that. I will record the studio tomorrow after school and hopefully an interview with someone that has worked there a while. I've been hearing stuff inside of my house but it goes away as soon as I pull out my phone. Another thing I think I should add, ever since I've been hearing and seeing stuff simultaneously about two months ago, my little six-year-old brother has been having random laughing outbursts, growling at me and my mom trying to attack us and just rolling around on floors. My mom has told me that I stand over her at night and I wake up at exactly 12.36 every night. If anyone can explain this, is my brother just being a little kid because that's the best explanation I can think of. Have I developed a new sleepwalking habit? Update number 5. I got sick this morning. I'm staying home. Maybe I can catch some of this stuff on camera. I'm slowly losing my appetite. I eat once, maybe twice a day. I was told I was over my mom's bed again. I'm hearing whispers as I write this. I was thinking about ending my own life this morning. It's a strange fascination I have after surviving it so many times, and I hear a raspy, aggressive voice say, Do it. Do it again. Over and over until I eventually just throw up, and then it stops. I don't know why it stopped after I threw up. I need some closure on what is happening. Update 6 Hey guys, I'm sorry I haven't been very active. I have some school-related encounters. The other day, my parents split up and my mom's been lashing out a bit. I went to talk to my school counselor about this. She left the room for a minute or two and I saw from the corner of my eye her filing cabinet drawer slowly open. I told her about it and didn't really believe me, I guess. When we were talking, the door opened. She called out to anyone that might have been there, but no one answered. She checked outside and no one was there. This was Tuesday. It's now Thursday. I went out to get some water during history class and I thought I heard my friend call my name. I turned around and no one was there. I kept walking and kept hearing it. I just hurried up and walked back to class, so that's really all I have for now. I'm sorry to disappoint. I also haven't gotten around to adding pictures of the station because the other day I got suspended from school so my mom took my phone. It's been pretty hard. Update number 7. There will be a lot of updates to this story. I've been getting a lot of meditation references. Thanks for that, everyone. There's been a few things that have happened. My shoulder blades have been feeling like they were being stabbed repeatedly. I've been taking meds for it. I've also been seeing things a lot too. 
The other day I was in sleep paralysis and saw someone standing over me. The next day, my door started rattling. It would happen, then stop, and then happen again. Please, I really, really don't know what to do at this point. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lily was from Seattle. I had met her online when she added me on Facebook and we began chatting. Since I had a number of friends from Seattle, I was deep into the club and party scene. Lily could have been anyone I met during those frenzied nights of dazzling multicolored lights, lasers, drug-induced stupors, and alcohol binges. I met too many people in Los Angeles and Las Vegas to keep track of everyone, and I often saw familiar faces no matter which party I went to. Lily could have been any one of them, I figured. No, Lily turned out to be a complete stranger who probably would have been injured or worse if she didn't add me on Facebook that day. From what I could gather from our conversation at the time, Lily was a fiery, impulsive, and temperamental Chinese girl who had scarcely turned 19, making her about seven years or so younger than me at the time. Her personality was in direct conflict with my own, as I am a contemplative and reserved person who prefers to use time more productively when not participating in the party life, which I was rapidly leaving behind. She liked video games, partying as a lifestyle, Asian stuff in general like boba tea and Korean drama shows, and lived a dramatic life herself. She looked wealthy, judging by her Facebook posts, and owned her own condo in Seattle near a university she was attending. Soon, she said she would own a nice car. Her mom and dad had some sort of big company in China. That usual sort of rich Asian deal. I don't know why Lily added me, and she never really explained why either. It was probably just a misclick or a drunken ad, but we began talking, and we had some pretty decent, interesting conversations over the course of many months. Lily was constantly arguing with people on Facebook and participating in all kinds of internet drama. She spent at least three hours a day editing selfies and antagonizing people on social media, as I would discover when I finally met her. One day I was reading a book when I went on Facebook for a break. Lily's status update showed up on my feed. She sounded absolutely despondent and immensely sad. I shot her a message to ask her what was up and to my surprise, she said she was very close to where I was living in California. 
She had moved over from Seattle after her parents had cut her off and did not yet have a car. She was relying on a check to come in from the new tenant for her condo and had no money to call her own until she came in. Lily's friend had agreed to let her stay with her for two weeks, but her friend's boyfriend had decided to kick her and her cat out of their home, so she was quite literally sleeping on the street. She seemed so down, had been sleeping outside for at least two days, and had not eaten for at least a day. This made me feel very sorry for her, so I offered to take her out for a quick bite so she could talk and let it all out to a listening ear. I have had good friends end their life before and she seemed to be crying out for help, so I figured if I could potentially save someone, it would be good. The neighborhood Lily was in was unsafe. I did not feel good about her sleeping outside in a cold and seedy neighborhood. A few weird people were skulking along the sidewalks. We met in person for the first time at last. Lily had been sleeping in the backyard of a house in the neighborhood that was for sale and hadn't eaten anything for two days. It was really unbelievable, but I could tell she wasn't lying. I moved her suitcase into my trunk and Lily got into the passenger seat. She had clearly been crying. Her eyes were swollen and her nose was red. I took Lily out to one of my favorite Japanese restaurants, an inexpensive izakaya, where we had some hot ramen and a few hot sides. She explained her situation to me and it really seemed like she had no option but to wait outside for a week until her money came in. After the meal, I decided I couldn't possibly leave her outside to starve and endure the elements, possibly getting attacked, so I offered to let her stay in my room since the date she indicated would be in just a week. I assured her it would be no problem for me, but that it was up to her to decide if she wanted to trust me. No pressure. Lily said okay. She didn't have much stuff, so she easily got situated in my room after dinner. I sat on the ground reading and continuing my studies while she got some much-needed rest in my bed. I slept on the floor, which made her feel bad, but I reassured her that I was used to sleeping on the floor and it was fine, especially during the hot summers, which was true. I very well couldn't make her sleep on the floor. Lily was depressed and had not much else to do, so she stayed in my house and used my computer to apply for jobs and play with my dogs while I went to work each day for the next few days. I'd bring her some lunch on my breaks and buy or make extra dinner portions after work. She slowly got better and we found ourselves chatting earnestly until bedtime every evening. I was glad she was feeling better. To my surprise, she asked if I could be her boyfriend in the middle of the night when we were talking, since I had been so nice to her. She told me that I had been kind to her when she really needed it most and wasn't a creep and that she found me attractive when she added me on Facebook more so even when she met me in person. At the time, I was in no good spirits myself. A few months before I met Lily, my family had intentionally sabotaged a serious five-year relationship that I had been in. I had cut ties with my family and was emotionally wrecked. I did feel that Lily's proposition was rushed, but she was there in a time I needed someone to be. I agreed to be her boyfriend, and we pretty much talked a few more hours, made out, drank a little did other stuff and went to sleep. When her check finally came in and she got situated into her new apartment, Lily was the happiest that I'd seen her. She treated me to a nice dinner. I slept over at her place the night I helped her move into her new apartment and we got physical pretty often. It was all really sudden but I figured hey, 
why not? I thought Lily appreciated me. Sort of unhealthy, but you have different needs during different periods of your life. Soon, I started to realize Lily was a deeply troubled girl. She claimed she had fibromyalgia and clinical depression despite never being diagnosed. She complained when I needed to work and go to class, even though I spent two or three days a week with her. She was used to getting her way and was still used to the lifestyle she had with her parents' money. Lily had awful mood swings and was still in the party phase that I had grown out of. I taught her ways to safely do the drugs she was doing, but told her it was best not to party every weekend, advice she initially took but eventually began to ignore. She spent what little money she had on drugs and clubbing and alcohol, trying to also get me to join her, but I kept my eye on the ball and continued my clean streak. Lily wanted to sell naked pictures, make adult videos, and go on camp for money instead of working a normal job, but I convinced her to complete her education instead. She had changed her name at least twice, another red flag. Lily was just full of drama and attracted drama. I won't lie though, Lily was actually pretty attractive and could probably have done well in modeling. Her immaturity and unwillingness to cooperate with anyone, however, often got under my skin and although I liked her, I couldn't ever bring myself to say I loved her. Furthermore, Lily always insisted on not using protection which was irresponsible and made me nervous and I always made as sure as possible that I didn't get anything inside if you know what I mean. Sometimes I couldn't even find it in myself to do it with her and Lily would complain and generally be nasty and not very understanding. But I hoped her time with me will allow her to open up and settle into her own skin more comfortably. Half the time we got intimate I didn't really want to do it since Lily disliked all forms of foreplay and pretty much just wanted me to stick it in cold. I found it so ironic how Lily was probably my most conventionally attractive girlfriend ever, but that I liked getting physical with her less than any of my exes, even though ditching the rubber is most guys' dream. A girl like Lily would definitely have had a lot of negative experience with unwanted attention from strange men. I didn't realize just how much until later. Many guys liked her. Lily soon revealed she had a stalker and was not sure who it was. Whoever it was... He had her phone number and somehow figured out the apartment complex she moved into. The creep solicited her and then threatened her when she ignored him. He then badly photoshopped her face onto a naked photo and sent it to her, threatening to circulate it among her friends and family. He told Lily she and he had met before, but it would be her job to figure out who it was. The guy described in graphic detail the things that he would do to her and what he wanted her to do to him. He described things that someone who never interacted with her would not know. He described how he would violate her. The guy offered her money and messaged her at least a dozen times a day. These messages greatly disturbed and disgusted Lily but she was afraid of deleting or blocking him because she would then be blind as to his possible whereabouts. The idea of not knowing where this guy could be freaked her out even more. But things escalated. Whenever Lily asked him who he was, he would just say he was someone she had met before and leave it at that. Lily and I tried to figure out who it could possibly be and went through every contact on her Facebook and Instagram, finding no possible suspects. 
The guy started doing very threatening things like telling Lily to come down from her apartment at 2 o'clock in the morning or telling her to look outside her window at night so he could see her. He was prowling about the area and goaded her to come out to meet him. He proved he wasn't just bluffing when he messaged Lily the street she lived on and sent her a description of the clothing she wore one day. Lily became really frightened, disabled her location services and found a new place to move into. The stalking didn't stop, it just worsened. Since Lily's only income was the monthly rental check from her Seattle apartment, she tried to find a job, but most of them were just bad or were scams I advised her to quit. Lily began selling her stuff on the Facebook market. She had several articles of name brand clothing in good condition that she decided to sell. At that point, she had obviously blocked the stalker, hadn't added anyone she didn't know on social media, and had been quite careful about him. Still, he kept sending messages, sometimes up to 50 a day. He continually photoshopped Lily's face on various nude pictures, threatening to distribute them, but Lily just laughed at him and traded barbs with him. I told her just to ignore him, but she couldn't control her hot-headedness, and this made him mad. I called the cops, but they pretty much claimed that they couldn't do anything since the stalker didn't damage any property or hurt anyone yet. One day, Lily got an offer on the Facebook marketplace for two of her Burberry coats. The buyer offered to meet at a parking lot nearby to exchange the goods and money, to which Lily agreed. We got to the parking lot at around 10pm, the designated time, but the buyer never showed. Instead, he started trying to convince Lily to go with him somewhere over the Facebook messages and asked if she was alone. Lily got mad and told him to screw off. He wasn't a serious buyer, to which the guy responded with laughter. Lily and I got out of my car and stood near a closed market where the transaction was supposed to take place and told the guy she would be leaving if he didn't show up in five minutes. He didn't and only tried to convince Lily to go with him again, which she refused. The next day, frightening messages came over Lily's phone. Her stalker sent pictures of us in the plaza and asked Lily why she brought a friend instead of coming alone. He told her she was lucky and that he had been there with his buddies and that she should watch her back if she continued to frustrate him like that. He taunted her and continued to describe the awful things that he would do to her. This had some scary implications. The good thing was that the stalker didn't know who I was and assumed I was just Lily's friend. The bad thing was this meant the stalker was in league with at least one other person and they were actually working together to nab her. The only thing we knew was the identity of the buyer who was supposed to buy the Burberry coats. His account was obviously on Facebook so Lily and I leafed through the accounts. To my surprise, it was a real and complete account with relationship and work information and everything. I wanted to call the cops to use the profile to track the guy and make him identify the main stalker, but before I could do so, Lily messaged the guy's girlfriend about what he did, causing him to delete or secure his account and for the main stalker to get really mad. The stalker said Lily would pay for ruining his good friend's life, as the girlfriend had also broken up with the guy and changed the privacy on her account. He said Lily should watch herself at all times and that he would have more of his guy friends grab her when she least expected it. I chastised Lily for acting prematurely, but she was clearly shaken and nervous. It got so bad that Lily couldn't even go outside without me and without feeling apprehensive whenever any guy or group of guys approached her. She was falling apart. 
Even when I was with her, the fear was infectious and I was suspicious of everyone around her. I never let Lily out of my sight. The whole ordeal was exhausting. One day, the stalker described how he saw Lily get into a blue car, my car, and claimed he would surely get the car's information to follow her around that way, which further terrified Lily. To foil his plan, I took off all unique features on my car, such as a decal and my headrest covers. I changed the frame of the license plate to one from the dealership and always slid the new car no-plate thing over the actual license plate in the frame whenever I was going to Lily's place. This seemed to do the trick and the guy was unable to find me, since it seemed he failed to get my plate information before I implemented my countermeasures. Luckily, my car is quite common and it is in a common color which would have helped further in my evasion. Still, the stalker was stubborn and police remained useless. Predictable. One day, he told Lily to look out her window in the middle of the night. Stupidly, she did and saw a dark figure walking about the sidewalk in the distance. Whether this was the guy or not, we didn't want him to see us, so I told her to stop looking and retrieved a long-bladed suchihiki, a long slicing knife, from my cooking kit. Lily trembled uncontrollably and cried, convinced he knew where she lived. The figure lingered outside for about an hour, leading us to believe it indeed was him. That was the last straw for me. I called the guy with Lily's phone and figured I just needed to seem as hostile and intimidating as possible since police were useless. I told him if he continued stalking her, there was nothing a group of my own friends could do that his couldn't. I told him I was armed at the moment and that I'd gladly meet him in any location alone too, unless he was too cowardly to show his own face by himself. I told him he knew he was weak and pathetic, no girl would tolerate his creepy behavior, and that I would easily whoop him and that this was why he didn't dare to do anything except gang up on and threaten a girl. He hung up and just responded in text that he would find a way to catch her alone where I couldn't protect her and laughed. He sent some voice messages, which were scrambled with some sort of program to prevent vocal recognition, leaving the message that he would find a way to get to Lily. My explosive entrance didn't deter him completely in the sense that he continued to send messages, but his threats felt diminished and weak. I wasn't taking any chances. I deleted all of Lily's social media accounts where the guy could have been on and which angered Lily until she begrudgingly admitted it was probably the smart thing to do and that she could just remake new ones that were more secure and that didn't have any random ads. Lily eventually got a new phone, moved again, and stopped using social media so much which made the stalker unable to contact her. We ended up not working out though. Lily one day just stopped talking to me and stopped responding to my calls and messages, at which point I figured out what she was doing. I in turn stopped trying to contact her. This was really inconsiderate considering all I had done to help her, but I'm not even mad. She was there at a point in my life when I simply needed someone to be. I could tell it wouldn't be a long relationship anyway, although I didn't expect her to be that immature after our time together. Lily, this isn't your real name, but you know who you are. Just know I'm not angry at you, but I sincerely do hope that someday you mature. Stop being so irrational, get the help you clearly need, and can make wise choices. I'd like you to know that I'm currently well on the right track to a happy marriage and that you can also someday find your own happiness if you take care of your problems. 
I'm not opposed to a future closure since you were important in your own way during your own time. As to the stalker, who was likely still out there, your behavior was cowardly, creepy, and not okay. I really hope that we can meet one day so I can personally beat the life out of you. And same with your friends. It's unbelievable there are people who are willing to cooperate with you. Though I enjoy hearing about the paranormal and in some ways I'm a believer, I'm also fairly skeptical. That being said, this story still makes me question what I believe. A little backstory. Back in 2012, I moved across country to Washington State. My ex-husband was in the military and, well, we were in love. I left my home and my family, all of my friends and most of my possessions. He didn't want me to be near any other Navy-wise because he said that would be a bad influence on me, so we didn't move on base. A year into living in a small apartment, our relationship became more toxic and bordering on abusive, but I kept making excuses. It took me too long to find a job. He has a lot of stress at work. He was literally all I had there, so I was too clingy. Just when things would get unbearable, he would get deployed and everything seemed to reset and we would revert back to the honeymoon phase. By the end of that year, I was sick of it. I was tired of feeling alone even when he was home. The mood swings were too much, and when he ignored me, that seemed to be even worse. Right as I was ready to leave, I found that I was pregnant. Suddenly, he was a doting husband that insisted we move into a bigger house in a better area to raise children. I went along with it because I genuinely believed things would get better. We ended up in a house on a small community pretty far from everyone and everything. The nearest store was about 30 minutes away, and for a while things did seem to get a little better. He was busier than ever on the boat and he was barely at home. When he was, he was slowly but surely becoming the bipolar monster that he had been at the apartment. Only a few weeks into living in the house and he was deployed again. I was left to my own devices unpacking and getting settled in when I found evidence that he was most likely cheating on me. This is where the story really begins. I was spiraling. My hormones were absolutely out of control and it just made everything worse. I never left the house unless I needed to and I started noticing weird things. Lights turning on in rooms that I never went in. The door that connected the house to the garage would open. I knew it wasn't me. I was afraid of the garage. Not for paranormal reasons, I just really hated spiders. The more depressed I got, the more things I began to notice. The house didn't feel empty anymore. Doors would be cracked that I usually kept closed. Cupboards left slightly open, which was a huge pet peeve for me. I was an avid gamer, so most of my time was spent either playing Mass Effect 3 on the Xbox 360 or watching Netflix on it in my living room. We had a Kinect set up, but I rarely used it. It mostly just got on my nerves because it would detect my hand petting my dog while watching Netflix. So while I would be sitting in my recliner, I would have the Kinect facing the couch. I can't remember what I was watching, but my little square kept popping up showing that it was registering a hand waving at it. Okay, weird. But it could have been anything. I turn on the remote and clear the screen. A few minutes later, it happens again. This time the little hand goes across the screen and exits out of the movie I was watching. At this point, I'm scared out of my mind, but I don't want to acknowledge anything. 
so I turned my game on and just tried to ignore everything for a while. The next day, I received an email from my husband and it set me off. I couldn't confront him about the things I found. The rates at which sailors end their own lives when they get bad news via email were too high and they would just pull my email and never give it to him if I did that. So reading his empty I love yous and promises of things getting better just set me off. I curled up in my chair and put my show back on and dove into some ice cream. A few minutes later, my connect is registering a hand again. I remember thinking that whatever it was must hate the show I was watching because it kept pausing it. And the next thing I know, it wasn't only registering a hand, it was showing the full outline of someone sitting on my couch. Tears streaming down my cheeks, I got up as calmly as I could, got my dog and my keys and left. I had nowhere to go. No friends or family at this point, so I just drove around until I had to pee. My plan was to ignore it. Whatever it was seemed like a quiet roommate than anything menacing. Things did escalate from there. My dog started following something around the house. It even gave her scraps if I left anything on the counter. My dog is a tiny chihuahua. There was no way she was getting up on the countertop herself. The TV would change channels if I left the room. It got to the point that I would say, Come on, the show isn't that bad. Whenever it would happen. When my husband came home, the atmosphere in the house would be suffocating. Doors would slam. We would leave and come home to it looking like the house had been teepeed with toilet paper or every piece of clothing in the house was thrown everywhere. Then my husband would get deployed and things would still be active, just less angry. Soon the baby was born and things got weird. My husband was home more, so we naturally argued non-stop. He wanted nothing to do with me or the baby. I wasn't sleeping at all. I would get my down to sleep and get in bed. The second I got comfortable, he would scream as though something were hurting him. I'd sprint in the room and his legs would be sticking out of the bars of the crib. This wasn't too much. I couldn't just ignore it though. One particular night I was so sick. I was throwing up every two seconds. It was 2am. My husband was awake but he was playing League of Legends. I'd run to the bathroom and the baby would start crying. I'd call for him in between vomiting. He'd stop playing long enough to come in the house and berate me for interrupting his game but not to help with our son. So I'd pull it together long enough to get him back to sleep. Shortly after I'm in the bathroom again and here comes my husband. I made him get kicked from the game after being AFK. He's in my face yelling every time I come up for air. Just when I was sure he was going to hit me. The baby would cry. I go into his room and his legs are through the bars again. I know what you're thinking. He's clearly pushing himself. But he wasn't. He wasn't even laying on his stomach as he isn't strong enough to lift and turn his head yet. It was only a few months old. I'd get him settled just in time for another wave of sick to hit me and my husband to continue his rant. Just when he'd get worked up and the baby would cry. Legs pulled through the bars. This went on for at least two hours until I just took him into a bassinet next to my bed and passed out from exhaustion. Now looking back on it, I'm positive it wasn't in my head. Too much happened there and I know I wasn't the only one to experience it. I once had a neighbor house sit while I went back home to visit. She reported a lot of the same things. The channel changing, the garage door opening, lights going on and off, and an unwelcoming presence. 
It seemed to me that whatever was there just enjoyed spending time with me. It wasn't fond of my husband. Honestly, neither was I. I think it might have been jealous of the baby. The negative energy from my husband and I fighting seemed to make it more bold. If it were just me, that would have been one thing. It messing with my child was something I couldn't ignore. We stayed there a year before I found a house in town to move into, and not long after that I left my husband as well. I still wonder if whatever that was is still there and if it likes its new roommates. I was heading home from work and school. Some middle-aged woman was going like 10 below the speed limit in the express lane with nobody in front of her on the freeway, so I passed her and soon took an exit. We went on a local road near my house with much less traffic but with the traffic lights and she ended up at my left when we stopped for a red light. I needed to make a left at the next light but she was driving very slowly again. So I got into the turning lane behind her before she could get out of the way of people behind us. I didn't speed up but instead left her ample time and room to get into the lane in front of me to make the turn even though I entered the turning lane before her. The lady made the turn and then tried to make a right turn onto the street immediately following the path from our left turn onto the local street. Because the lady was making a right, I switched lanes to the left to avoid braking so I could continue going forward as I did not need to make a turn. She rolled down the driver's side window and flipped me off. In response, I honked at her as I passed her mid-turn. Keep in mind that there was another driver trying to make a left turn in the direction I was traveling in who was super confused. My honking angered her and she suddenly went from snail mode to panther mode, pulling a U-turn in mid-turn and almost hitting another car, easily going over twice her usual speed. She swerved past the confused driver who was waiting to turn left, went against traffic to follow me, and cut directly in front of that driver to get behind me. She turned and proceeded to tailgate me. I was going relatively slow in the residential area so she was easily able to make her crazy turn, which I observed in my mirror, and catch up. I didn't even bother to brake check her, I just stopped and went normally for stop signs. I didn't want more trouble than needed and didn't want her to rear end me. I realized she was going to keep following me so I stopped before I got home, pulled over and she stopped behind me. I actually didn't know it was a lady at the time, but whoever was driving behind me was obviously incredibly infuriated as she got out of the car with a knife in her hand. I saw the blade gleaming in the afternoon sun when I exited the vehicle. That's when I realized it was a woman. Luckily, I had a camping machete in my car, so I grabbed it from my back seat. At that point, I really just wanted her to go away. I wasn't angry. I simply didn't know why she was acting like that. The lady was probably no more than five foot two or three, Hispanic, chubby, very angry, but she saw what I was holding, even though I was not waving the camp machete around or anything, and she just jumped back in her car and sped off. I don't want to know what would have happened if I didn't have a weapon in the car, or that driver had been a large and aggressive man instead of a short woman, or if that driver had a gun instead of a knife. Even though I didn't intend to use my machete, I was so thankful that I had it with me. It's a cold steel machete if anyone is wondering and I've kept that machete in my car ever since.
was little, my stepdad used to work the night shift at a gas station on the outskirts of Reno, Nevada, in a nice part of town off the highway before you head up to the Sierra Nevadas and Lake Tahoe. It's also the route you could have taken to reach Donner Pass, which is the party, along with the Reeds, who were settlers that got snowed in on their travels to California and wound up eating their dead companions to try and stay alive. The area back then was fairly new, and the Shell gas station was really nice. There were quite a few other stories in that area, along with a bagel shop and a grocery store, and everything was made out of this really dark wood paneling. My stepdad never had any problems working the night shift, though he did tell me some interesting characters would come in, and he often had regulars that he became friends with. My stepdad was the only one in the workshop when he worked the night shift, and he always told about the ghost that liked to pester the other workers, like turn off lights, open or close the bathroom door, knock snacks off the shelf, the works. My stepdad, being the massive skeptic as he is, didn't believe any of these stories, and because nothing ever happened to him, he just brushed them off. Until one night... My stepdad is working on one of the night shifts and it's pretty quiet. He hasn't had many customers coming through other than for gas and since it's a pay at the pump station, hardly anyone comes into the store. So my stepdad is playing on his phone and frequently glances up at the doors or at the security monitor to see if anyone is coming, but the station is deserted. He turns his attention back to his game when he hears the electronic sliding doors open and the sound of the bell above the door goes off. My stepdad puts his phone down and looks up to greet the customer, but he doesn't see anyone. He calls out, but no one answers. He glances at the security camera, but doesn't see anyone else in the shop except him, and there are no cars at the station or in the parking lot. He gets a little weirded out, since the doors have sensors, and the only time they open is if they sense someone approaching them but he just chalks it up to a prank of some sort of malfunction and gets back to his game. Hello? He hears the voice as clear as day right in front of him, and his head immediately snaps up to speak to the customer he clearly did not see before. There's no one there. He's even more weirded out, but convinces himself he was either imagining things or that the sound somehow came from his phone or the radio and then he hears the screams. He said the sound of the woman screaming came out of nowhere, and they were so loud and so chilling, he jumped and dropped his phone. My stepdad is a pretty big guy, about six foot two and a little hefty, and he doesn't normally get scared over anything. But he said the screaming terrified him so much he couldn't really think straight. He ran out from behind the counter and checked the aisles, but no one was in there. He checked the bathrooms and maintenance closet and no one was in there, but the screams were still going and they were still deafeningly loud, so he thinks maybe there's a woman outside who might be hurt or being attacked. He runs outside to where he thinks the screaming woman is and there's no one there. The lot is empty. There are no people, no cars, nothing. He checks around the back of the store and does a loop but he can't find the source of the scream and, just as suddenly as the screaming had started, it stopped. He goes back inside and checks the security tapes to see if he's missing anything, but other than him running inside and outside of the store like an idiot, 
He doesn't see anything else and he's unsure of what to think. He goes back inside and checks the security tapes to see if he's missing anything and other than him running inside and outside of the store like an idiot, he doesn't see anything else and he's unsure of what to think. The next day as he's leaving work and his co-worker takes over, he tells them about what happened, brushing it off as just some weird prank some little idiot was pulling. But the co-worker's response was very different, and even though my stepdad doesn't believe in any sort of paranormal activity, the words still stick with him all these years later. Oh, so you've heard her too. I'm a 17-year-old girl and this all happened when I was in elementary school. I don't remember what grade I was in. I was in one of my classes on the top floor talking with some of my friends. I sat at the window seat so I had a pretty great view of the roof and the scenery around the school. I was observing the small beach next to the football field when all of a sudden I saw two men walking on the roof. This however did not bother me as we usually had maintenance men up there all the time fixing the roof. I didn't inform the teacher for that very reason. I noticed that they were standing around and talking to each other periodically. I didn't think much of it and went back to whatever I was doing. Some of the other kids in my class started to notice the men and pointed them out to the teacher. She looked over begrudgingly and saw the men walking along the roof and crouching down at some points. Everybody was now looking over out of sheer curiosity. We also all noticed on the roof that something, I can't remember what, was out of place, such as a screw. The men were looking at something else to not notice the other mishap on the roof. The teacher walked over to her desk and grabbed her walkie-talkie and proceeded to ring for the maintenance men. She told us that they had missed a spot. We all laughed and she kept saying one of their names in the walkie-talkie with no response. My teacher was talking when all of a sudden the bell rang for lunch. We all walked out and ran down the hall. I ran so fast I ended up being the first people in the cafeteria. In our cafeteria there are five giant floors to ceiling windows and I noticed that parked next to the window was a blackish gray car. Me and another friend ran over to the window to look as there was never any cars allowed back there. Just as we got to the window the principal got over the loudspeaker saying that the school was going into lockdown and that it wasn't a drill. Still, at the window I noticed the men shimmying down the side of the school and bolt to the car. They were both in skull masks and they noticed all of us looking at them. They both jumped in the car and sped off. A teacher ran over to us and pulled us into the kitchen. and This all happened within the span of 30 seconds. We waited in the kitchen for a while until eventually a lockdown was called off. The cops never found the guys and the school eventually installed new security cameras. This incident caused an outrage with parents as there wasn't any good security cameras in the school at that time. This story is still insane to me and I hope that no other school gets hit by these two guys again. I moved to my childhood home with my parents when I was 18 months old. Understandably, I do not remember living anywhere before this. Our house was built on the site of an old forge. It gave the name to our small bit of road. As long as I can remember, I shared my room with Black Cat. 
He was an entity that every night would come in through the glass of my unopenable window. The top would open, but not the main pane of the glass for safety. He would wind his way around my blind and walk across the wall over the top of all my toys, the top of his shadow showing bumps for each of my toys. Like my Cindy doll and Care Bears would have shadow versions about half a meter above where they would actually be. No matter what toy would be there, its shadow would show as I lay in my high sleeper, bunk bed without the bottom bunk. Black Cat would then wind round my partially open door. I would allow it to be closed and disappear from my sight. I did not know why I called it my Black Cat as it was a shadow without any form or even why I knew it was a he. My parents knew all about Black Cat but never questioned me about it to my memory. By the time I was ten I would not sleep until Black Cat had made his trip and when I was tired, I would call out to Black Cat to come so I could sleep, and Black Cat would come as if waiting for my call. We moved from that house when I was 13. Fast forward a few years, and my teen mind thought I'd invented it all. So I asked my mom one time about Black Cat. What she told me made me amazed that we had not moved from that house years earlier. My mother thought Black Cat was an imaginary friend, until one night she was still upstairs and heard me call Black Cat. She waited and then watched as the shadow slid out of my room down the corridor past her and then turned down the stairs and out of the house through the window at the bottom. Mum said that it held no form but was the size of a black panther and moved like a cat. Her and my dad decided not to tell me that they had seen Black Cat but Mum did say that she asked me if I had ever felt scared by Black Cat, to which I had told her in my little child way that Black Cat was my friend. I'm now an adult with almost grown kids of my own, but I still miss my little black shadow, and I hope that whoever lives in my old room is friends with my black cat. So I'm on spring break and I was spending the night at my younger brother's house. I was with him and his mom and we were planning on going camping out in the woods behind their apartment since they had just bought a tent and three air mattresses. The woods behind the apartments are very big, are a little popular among the people who live in the area despite them technically being off limits. My brother's mom and friend of hers had built a makeshift campground deep in the woods for us to camp at the previous summer so we already had a spot to stay. It took two trips and four bags to do it, but about 30 minutes of hauling supplies, we finally had all of the necessary things for us to camp comfortably. We got the tent set up and got a fire going at about four in the afternoon. By six, my brother and his mom were still fooling with the fire, and I was lying on my air mattress watching YouTube with earbuds in when a man walked into our camp and started a conversation with my brother's mom. At first I thought he was the friend who helped build the camp, but after looking at him, I realized I didn't recognize him and by the looks she was giving me, she didn't either. I sat in the tent listening to their conversation. I heard him ask her, So how far away are the apartments? How long does it uh, take to walk there? She told him it took 15 minutes, which was a lie. It took longer, but she wanted him to think we were closer to make it seem like if we needed to, 
we could get away from him. Long story short, she gave him hot dogs and water and he left. About five minutes after, my brother's mom came to the tent and what she said made my heart skip a beat. We have to go. Now. I quickly gathered my things as she put all of our blankets and pillows in a bag. We left in a hurry and thankfully got home safely. When we got inside, I asked her why she was so freaked out and she told me he introduced himself as, well, we'll call him John Doe. He told her he was wanted for questioning by the police because he was at the wrong place at the wrong time and she said he kept asking about the police and had a few cuts on his face. He also said before he left that he would come back later. She waited until he was far enough away to start packing. We tried searching his name on our city's police department but found nothing. I don't know what would have happened if we stayed there that night but I shudder to think about it. Allow me to set the scene. It is April 22nd, 2019. I am a 16 year old, 5 foot 6, conservative white male in a small city population of 65,000 called Conway, Arkansas. Now here's where the story begins. I was picking the kernels off of the corn that I feed my rats and I found an ear that had some mold on it. Of course, I'm not going to feed that to my rats, even though it was only a small spot of mold. I was extremely angered because I had bought it from the fresh produce section of my local Walmart. I figured I'll use it for carp bait. Fishing is my number one hobby. So I finished my task and get ready to go to the creek as I was planning on going for some bass already. The creek I fish at is a couple of miles from my house. I strap my rods to the side of my bike and I'm off. I make it to my carp fishing spot and almost instantly I start catching them. I'm on the side of the creek and I hear one of the nastiest noises I've ever heard. I can tell it is coming from one of the red falcons that we have around the creek. I set my rod on a forked stick and walk about 30 feet from my spot where I see it. A large red falcon with a small stone lodged in her breast. Me, under the impression that some dumb kids having no clue of the beauty of the raptor that they had just killed, pulled out my phone and called Parks and Rec. While on the phone with the operator, I noticed the poor girl was still breathing. Now, don't be brought to the wrong conclusion. She may be breathing, but she is as good as dead. The operator asked me to briefly scout the area for any obvious traps or signs of human interaction with the environment. And that's when I hear, clear as day, the sound of footsteps. Heavy footsteps. Running. I see the culprit and it's not something I do well with. What appears to be a cloaked man fleeing the scene, so creepy as it disappeared into the tall grass without warning, it's gone. I soon speak with a game officer who thanks me for reporting an animal killed by foul play, and now, just hours later, I can't stop thinking about what I had seen. One thing's for sure, that poor falcon will always be in the back of my mind. When I was younger, seven or eight, I moved from one happy little town to the bigger city I still live in now. We moved to this cute little neighborhood downtown in our city. 
When we moved in, we had neighbors on both sides of our house, and they seemed nice. One side, a couple with a small house in the back that one of their friends who they let live back there, and, and on the other side, a couple we did not know so well, but they're not part of the story. The neighbors that are relevant to this story are the couple and the man in the back house. For this story, I will call them Jay, Frida in the front house, and in the back, Ray. They seem nice. We got invited over a few times. They had a nice little house, not the cleanest, but ours wasn't either, so why judge? When we went to go talk and hang out, they had one of those cliche creepy white vans that they let us go in and look at the stuff that they had put in there and jokingly closed the door and locked them to scare us as we were little kids at the time. We freaked out and banged on the door to almost fall out as they, Jay, swung the door open laughing like a madman while our parents and Frida looked in shock. After a couple of years later when I was about 10 or 11, we started noticing cop cars in front of their house or our house. This happened a few times before they came to our front door wanting to talk to our parents. I'm not completely sure what they talked about, but it was something to do with hearing loud yelling and crashing. They said they did and they had for a while. They continued to ask questions and soon left, and our parents told us to stay in the house the rest of the night. Fast forward to last year, we moved to a new house, but this was for personal reasons, not including the weird neighbors. We found out that Frida, our neighbor, had broken up with Jay, and he had been living in his car, the creepy white van, and had been in my mom's workplace parking lot. People started to get confused when the van never left the parking lot, and nobody left the van after a couple of days and someone called the police and looking in the windows but they were blocked out with curtains so they manually opened the door and found him dead on the floor. We never found out what the cause of death was but we think it was either the heat as it was summer or he could have been alcohol poisoning or a drug overdose but I suppose we will never know. I'm a Dutch girl in her early 20s now. When I was younger, I had a best friend. We met in kindergarten and were immediately friends. She was Ukrainian but moved to the Netherlands at age 5. When we were about 13 years old, she started to get a little bit rebellious. One day I was sleeping over at her house and her mom had to work until somewhere in the middle of the night. In the afternoon, we went outside to take care of some horses that we had under our care. We didn't own the horses, but... We could ride them and brush or feed them with supplies the owners laid out for us. When we got back to her house, it was already dinner time. My friend Helena and I ate and went to play on the computer. That's when I got a notification on my phone. It was a text message. In these days, WhatsApp didn't exist yet. It was the days of texting and MSN. I'm not sure if everyone knows this in other countries. It's a messenger app. Anyway, the text message said something in the lines of, Be careful tonight. We were obviously very confused and a little freaked out, but my friend didn't get scared so easily. She wanted to write back, who is this, but when we tried to open the message, we couldn't find it. We found the message had somehow moved to the concepts map on my phone, where messages are written on the phone itself but not send. Being young and naive, we didn't pay it much mind. We were watching some TV when we started to doze off. Then I got another message. It read, 
feeling sleepy already. Now we were thinking someone was messing with us or one of our friends happened to walk by our house. We didn't send a response back but we're more awake now. So we went outside for some typical teenage grocery shopping. We bought some snacks and energy drinks. At the cash register however I got another text saying, did I say you could buy energy drinks? This felt very judgmental and aggressive and being stupid teenagers we did not take well to that so we sent back, yeah, got a problem with that? The next text came in within a minute saying, yes, do not buy it. We of course ignored it and bought the energy drinks. We then walked around our village and sat down at some swings near my friend's house, drinking our energies. We then get the message, I said no. We got a little suspicious there as it seemed to know all the time what we were doing, like it actually was watching us. We went inside her house and closed all the curtains and thought that's that. When we were inside, however, things started to get strange. My phone kept sending me messages with strange signs like percentages and ands and underscores. I still remember that very clearly. We got creeped out by this. The messages kept coming in fast, one after another. We wanted to tell our friends about this so we started up her computer and the app MSN. But whenever we tried to type a message, all that it typed were the symbols of the percentages, the and signs and underscores. We quickly shut down the computer and went upstairs to her room. Before heading in her room, Helena went in the bathroom to go to the toilet. I waited in the hallway and she left the door open. Yes, we were too freaked out to even close the door. Helena was on the toilet when all of a sudden the faucet across from her turned on and water started filling the sink. She quickly finished up and went to turn it off. She washed her hands and was saying to me how strange that was when... The door slammed closed on its own. Helena screamed like I had never heard and pulled the door open again. She ran into my arms and we ran to our room together. We sat on her bed, huddled together for a while. I then got another message. It said, getting scared now. At this point I wanted to call Helena or my mother. While I was making my case to do so, Helena got very quiet and whispered, I know what to do. She told me to get her mind off of it and go to the horses again. I followed her but paid more attention to our surroundings. When we got to the horses, Helena told me a story about last year. She and her niece were together that night exactly a year ago and they had found this stupid ritual online. They decided to do it in one of the fields near the horses and used this blood to ask the moon for luck. She said that nothing seemed to follow him from it but that it couldn't be a coincidence that it was a year ago to the day. She said we had to do it again this year in order to keep the promise that she had made last year valid. So we went to the field and she cut her hand with a small knife that she had hidden away. I told her this was insane and I wasn't going to cut myself for some crazy ritual that she had done last year. She told me that I was involved now since I was getting the messages and that I had to do it. Instead of my blood, I used my spit and a bowl for her and to do the rest of the ritual. Honestly, I don't remember anything from it other than being so mad at her and thinking she was crazy. On the walk home, she kept acting crazy and saying she was seeing all these people on the road that I didn't see. I told her to stop freaking me out more than I was from the person sending creepy messages who 
did seem to have stopped. She then told me she saw a little baby who was my brother. Now, I do have a passed away brother who died. I told her about him and she did see one picture of him that hung in my house. But other than that, she didn't know him. She told me about this tube around his neck. He did have this in his last years and she could not have seen this on the pictures. I was confused but more angry that she would use something like that to convince me of her story and told her that this was not okay before storming off. She caught up to me when we were nearing her house and said to stop immediately. The urgent tone in her voice did make me stop. She said a woman with a baby stroller was standing in front of her front yard watching her house. We hid behind a corner and looked. The woman was staring at her living room window. Then I got another message. It said, I told you to be careful. We texted back, what is happening, but got no response. After a while, the lady walked away. I guess she got tired of the empty house. We quickly ran inside and checked all of the front doors and windows. Helena looked outside and said that there were people in the street looking at her house. I looked outside but didn't see anyone. I told her I didn't believe her and she had to stop going into this creepy stuff. But then got a message saying, do not fall asleep tonight. Do not lose focus. Despite not being sure if I believed my friend about seeing people, I believed the messages I was getting were not normal. My friend then got all the Jesus-related statues or crosses from her house and put them in a circle in her living room. We sat in the room hoping nothing would happen anymore. We got another message saying that that's not going to work. Just then a statue of the circle fell over and rolled away, breaking the circle. We ran upstairs and locked ourselves into her bedroom. We sat in her bed for a long time. Maybe we dozed off, maybe we didn't, but suddenly Helena started screaming. She said that she saw a lady in white standing outside the window. Her room had a small terrace and a ladder going down to her backyard. I looked out the window, but thank God there wasn't anything there. Then we got the final message of the night. I said don't fall asleep. When the night is over, so will this all be. We didn't want to be in her room anymore and laid the mattress down in another room. There we stayed all night. When her mom got home, we just told her that we moved rooms because there was a draft from the wind. She then went to bed. We didn't sleep until it was already well into the morning. I never got a text like that again. My friend wanted to use a Ouija board some time after that to maybe get more answers. I told her she was insane, and even if it was probably not real, why mess with things like that? No good can come of it. We got into a huge fight which eventually led to the end of our friendship. To this day, I still don't know what was real, what was possibly an elaborate prank, or what might just have been my own imagination. This story takes place in the desert of Arizona. Me and my dad are on a camping trip with the rest of our family, but thanks to the size of the family, we had to take two cars. One car, one for boys, and one for girls. I had three sisters, but I was the only boy. Three hours later, and nightfall approaches, making it harder to drive with only one light working, so my dad decides we should stop and camp there for the night. I said I was down as long as we sleep in the car. 
Not really camping, but if you had to choose between a car seat and the ground, then we'll talk. Anyways, he agreed, so we drove off the road onto the sand with a cactus as far as the eye can see. We both began our descent into slumber. Only, I couldn't, as I was a bit of an insomniac, which I was fine with. It just meant that I could look up at the night sky, and then I heard the blood-curdling screech of some kind of humanoid being howling at the vast emptiness of the desert. At first I thought it was a coyote, but coyotes don't sound like that. Frozen solid, I look out the window to see a tall, lanky creature standing on all fours of its extremely long, unnatural appendices. At first glance, it would have just blended in with the cacti surrounding the area with its seemingly prickly skin, but I didn't just peek and look away. I was flat out staring at it until my eyes lock with its two small white dots, and that was all I could see. I almost soil my pants as it full out charges at the small car which could have easily been flipped with little effort. I guess that all the commotion woke up my dad because before I knew it, we were driving off the sand back onto the road, flooring it the whole way only to get the back window smashed in with the creature slamming its two-fingered hand in the glass screen, sending shards everywhere, even into its own hand. It didn't follow us for much longer as it had glass shrapnel in its hand It started to slow down and limp away, leaving blood marks on the back door. We kept driving without looking back, fearing to see it again. Eventually we had to stop as we caught up with the rest of the family. We all shared the same expressions on our faces, the look of terror glued on. That day is one I'll never forget. I'm a male in my early 20s and live in South Dakota, and I'm experienced in Wiccan. I haven't had too many bad experiences, but there is one I can remember. There was one ritual I was wanting to try, but I need more than just me to perform it. So I invited one of my friends to help me with it because I knew that she had been wanting to learn a little bit more from someone experienced. Just for reference, my friend was a couple of years younger than me, and she was a small patient girl with colored short hair. So I set up a night at a local lake to perform this ritual, and I want to point out that this ritual wasn't exactly a good magic type of ritual. It wasn't dark magic by any means, but more of an in-between type of magic. So me and my friends set up a night and met at the location we discussed. I told her what to expect and what to do. I told her that she had to do everything that I explained or that the ritual was for nothing. So she agreed and we began. I started by lighting a small fire and set my makeshift cauldron into the center of it. I threw the first few ingredients into the cauldron and we started. The first quarter of our ceremony went by pretty quick and then I heard a bush behind me moving and thought it was just a small creature moving by. So I ignored it and we reached about halfway through the ceremony and heard a loud sound like a branch snapping. So I was a little more nervous about my surroundings and who or what possibly was watching us. After the second interruption I kind of sped up the process and tried to get our ritual done. After the next hour or so, I kept hearing whispers behind me and off in the distance and the dark in front of me. At this point, my friend was starting to hear things too, and 
she was starting to get uncomfortable. Since she wasn't as comfortable with everything as I was, I let her know just to sit in front of the fire with me behind her. As she was reading out of my book of shadows, I felt someone watching us, so I told my friend to add three decent-sized logs to the fire to try to make it easier to see. After a few minutes, the logs finally caught on fire and it lit up about fifty or more yards around us, revealing a tall, slender figure just on the outside light of our fire. Just as I noticed the figure, so did my friend. She began shaking and she called my name without moving. She asked, What do we do? I told her, Don't move. All we have to do is say a short invocation, close the book, and put out the fire. By then the figure had glowing red eyes and I could finally see a ragged black coat draped over the figure with long slender arms that were nothing but bone. Before I had the chance to move, I shouted the final words of the invocation and closed the ritual circle. My friend slammed the book shut and I kicked sand onto the fire extinguishing the flames. Just as the flames went out, the creature makes an ear-piercing screech that seemed like it shook the whole ground. My friend was laying on the ground covering her ears, starting to cry. I picked her up and booked it for my vehicle that was parked about 200 yards behind us, hidden behind a large row of trees. As soon as I got to my car, I threw open the driver's door and put my friend in the bench seat and slid her over to the passenger side. I got in and slammed the door shut. I started my vehicle and I floored it out of the trees that we were in, but just as we got into the clearing on the outside of the trees, the figure was floating there, about a hundred yards in front of my vehicle. I didn't move. I looked over at my friend and she was still curled up in a ball, crying. I didn't want this thing to hurt her, so I looked back at it and as soon as I did, it made the same deafening scream. I put my car in first gear and floored the gas pedal to get out of there. I didn't care if I hit it, I just wanted to leave. But just as I was about to hit it, it vanished into fog. I didn't look back, I just kept driving. We had about five miles before we hit pavement and was able to drive faster. It was another 25 minutes back into town and on the way back my friend didn't say a word. I asked if she was okay and she just looked at me. By the time we got back to town my friend did admit that she knew why everything happened. Apparently her ex-boyfriend had gone to some voodoo doctor asking him to set a dark spirit to hurt or even kill her because he was jealous of her spending so much time with me. At the end of all of this, she did become my girlfriend and we haven't tried any new rituals for some time now. Approximately two years ago, I was working as an engineer for a relatively new company in my area. I hadn't been out of school very long, but I was excited that my degree at least seemed to be paying off so far. The company I had worked for had a large local client base and one of our new contracts was developing and designing a new set of exhibits for a local zoo. On paper it seemed like a fairly simple job, but one that I found to be quite unique. Coming out of school I didn't ever think I'd be working for or at a zoo on a job. I always envisioned larger, more commercial properties. 
For this job, we were going to have to work overnight so that the construction didn't upset the animals during the day when the zoo was filled with guests. We worked for about two weeks or so with no issues. We did have to make a few adjustments to our original plans and design, but it wasn't anything the construction team couldn't handle. Every night at around 3 a.m., we would head to a local diner for a lunch break and some needed food. But on this specific night, I decided to stay back and work on one of the more complex locking mechanisms for one of the newly constructed exhibits. I remember finishing up about 45 minutes later and noticed the crew hadn't arrived back yet. I started cleaning up my area when I suddenly heard a noise. Almost sounded like someone bumping into a workstation, like a scrape against the floor. I just figured it was one of my crew finally getting back from their longer than normal break and continued picking up my tools and scrap supplies. No more than 30 seconds later I started to hear more noises. This time it sounded like banging on the side of a door. Slightly annoyed I made my way to the door to make sure it wasn't a staff member or worse, someone who shouldn't be on the property. I opened the door and saw nobody. Nothing was there. I made my way through the door over to the cafeteria where chairs were out of place and several tables had been flipped over. At this point I thought maybe a group of teenagers had snuck onto the property as it was well known to the public that our company was working overnight construction at the zoo. I yelled out and asked, who's there? To which I got no response. At this point I began to get angry because any damage that occurred on my watch would be my responsibility and... I knew my team was too careful to disrespect our client and leave a mess like this. As I proceeded through the cafeteria, I started to hear little shuffles coming from the kitchen area behind the counter. I was about 10 feet from the counter when my heart felt like it literally stopped beating in my chest. What I saw made me freeze in fear. It almost felt like I couldn't move, like I was stuck in a dream. Standing in front of me was four monkeys or apes. From what I remembered, I counted at least four and they seemed to be exploring the kitchen. My yelling must have alerted them because one or two of them was staring at me. I tried to slowly and calmly make my way back toward the door. The animals were enormous. They were good size and I had no idea if they were violent or docile. When I was just a couple of feet from the door, the monkeys started howling and screaming like crazy. They were screeching and started banging on the walls. I turned and ran as fast as I could into the main office. To my horror, at least two of the apes had followed me and were now banging on the door that I had just shut behind myself. The sound of their cries and wailing was so unsettling, I actually was starting to fear for my safety. From the office, I called my coworkers and told them what happened and to stay a safe distance upon their return. And I also called zoo management authorities so they could handle what seemed to be wild animals loose at the zoo. After only about 10 minutes, the proper authorities showed up to take care of the situation. At that point, the monkeys were no longer in my line of vision, so I'm not sure how they captured them and got them back into their exhibit. After an investigation into the matter, it turns out that some of the work that was being done at the zoo caused an electrical malfunction, which allowed a few doors to come open at some of the exhibits. Every time this story gets brought up, someone says that the lion exhibit was left open and... I'm lucky it didn't escape and try to eat me alive. I also get made fun of because my terror and reaction to the event made staff think that I was being chased by a thousand pound gorilla when in reality it was a much smaller species. 
As much as people like to joke about the situation, it was truly a horrifying experience. I know this isn't your typical scary story that you would find on this forum, but when you're staring at a wild animal and they're looking right back at you, it's completely rational to fear for your safety, or even your life. First off, let me just say that I think this story is a bit more weird than scary, but I figured I'd share it anyway. Several years ago, I got a job offer from a fairly large zoo in the city about 30 minutes from where I lived. I'll keep the name anonymous for obvious reasons. This particular zoo was always packed to the brim with guests no matter what time of year it was. Unlike a lot of other zoos which utilize volunteers, this zoo actually paid most of its workers and in fact paid them quite well. Side note, I've always been a big animal nerd, so obviously I was really excited to be actually working for a zoo. I was hired and trained by my boss, who was a really beautiful woman. Let's call her Heather. She was probably in her late 30s or early 40s. I mentioned her looks because, after about a month of training, I noticed she was beginning to be kind of flirtatious with me, which looking back on it, I realize is completely unprofessional and I probably should have just ignored it. But being a guy in my mid-twenties, of course, I occasionally flirted back. One day after work, we were walking to our cars together, and very bluntly and unexpectedly, she asked if I wanted to go out and grab a drink sometime. I quickly accepted, not taking into account all of the potential ramifications. I really like this job, and would this jeopardize my employment? Also, Heather is easily ten-plus years older than me, and... We don't really know nothing about each other than the small talk from work. We hadn't even had conversations via text or anything like that outside of work. Either way, I decided to just go with it and see what happens. We went on a couple of dates which honestly went pretty well. I managed not to make a fool of myself and seemed to be making a good impression. Heather was definitely, uh, weird, I guess. I guess you could say that, but... I blamed it on the age difference and the fact that it seemed we really didn't have much in common other than our love for animals. I basically would sit there for most of the time and listen to her talk. She routinely made references I didn't understand, so I perfected the smile and nod. As we saw each other more, she became over-the-top flirtatious and affectionate, even in public, which I did actually find a little awkward. After about a month or so and several dates with Heather, things started to take a turn for the worst. She would routinely make really weird jokes about her exes, like morbid, violent jokes that you wouldn't really expect someone to say to a person you've only been seeing for about a month. As her weird and irrational comments began to continue, I tried to distance myself from her both in and out of work. She must have known that I was starting to lose interest because she started calling me up to her office at the zoo to talk. One day in particular I went up there and she began to cry and begged me to stay with her. She stated that she knew I was losing interest and that she wanted to be better for me, that she could be a better person and a better partner. Now, as previously stated, being in my 20s, my first instinct was to end it and move on. I don't mean this in a disrespectful sense, but we had only known each other for a month or so, and we still didn't truly know one another, or at least in my eyes we didn't. So it seemed a little out of the norm to be having situations like this already in our relationship. Anyway, I like to think I'm a nice person and somewhat of a pushover. 
I didn't like seeing anyone upset, so when she broke down, I obliged and reassured her that I wasn't leaving her or going to hurt her. It was a mistake. The next day, she texted me to meet her in her office. She told me to meet her at 2.15 and to not be late. Wanting to surprise her, I showed up at 2pm and brought her a handful of flowers that I picked from around the zoo. She wasn't there yet and her door was locked with a key code. I knew the key code, but so did several other staff that had to frequent her office. I went in and sat in her desk chair thinking I'll playfully scare her when she came in. As I sat down at her desk, I noticed her computer was on and opened. On the screen were really graphic images, like dismembered body parts and such, something you might see out of the movie Saw. As I scrolled down, I saw numerous photos of me, but not ones that I knew she had took of me. Some of them were random shots of me at work, and others were outside of work. Times when we weren't even together. I got up from the computer, completely freaked out and disturbed. A moment later, she walked in and looked completely disheveled. She asked what I was doing there and started screaming that I was spying on her just like her exes used to. I insisted that I'd just got there a little early and wasn't trying to spy on her, but she wasn't having it. Heather backed me into a corner, continuing to shout at me, and then abruptly stopped and walked over to her desk, sat down and smiled and said, I have something for you. That's when instinct kicked in and I decided it was time to go. I told her that I had to leave. She told me I better not or I would be sorry, but obviously I ran out of the room anyway. I quit that job and changed most of my personal info including cell phone number and social media pages. When I applied for the job I used my parents' address on the application. She had never actually been to my apartment. We always hung out at her place which I was extremely grateful for. Since the incident in the office she has tried to follow me on social media. Blocked. And even showed up at my parents' house looking for me. I gave my parents a heads up about the situation so they gave her some lines saying that the previous tenant, myself, had moved out of state. I'm just happy I left her office when I did that day. My instincts from the start told me that there wasn't something a little off about her behavior and I probably should have listened to them sooner. I have so many unanswered questions. Was she truly psychotic or did she just have a weird fetish? What would have happened to me if I stayed around to find out? I'm not the best writer, so please bear with me as I try to write out these stories for you guys. Back in 2016, I had one of my favorite jobs of all time. I worked part-time at a zoo, which was amazing. I loved animals, and my job responsibilities included feeding the animals, which seemed like the easiest job ever. Everything seemed to be going so well, until I met my coworker Drake. Drake was one of the zookeepers at the zoo. He was pretty reserved and didn't seem to say much to anyone. He would come into work, clean the cages, pick up waste, and go about his business. He was always fairly nice to me, polite and very timid when we had any interactions. He was tall and overweight. He had short black hair with a patchy beard. In a very shy and timid voice, he would always say, Good morning, Dana. And I, of course, always said hello. How are you doing today? But he was usually out of sight before he could even respond. Well, one October night, the zoo I worked for was hosting some sort of late-night party for offices in our city. 
It was a pretty neat affair with tons of food, alcohol, and people networking their business. A bunch of us were scheduled to work late to help the guests and clean up after the event was over. I mingled with guests for a while, showing them animals and giving them some basic facts about them. I noticed Drake was there changing trash bags, and when I saw him, I waved just being nice, and he didn't wave back. It didn't bother me, and I just kept being myself and assisting the guests in the park. At about 10pm, guests were starting to leave. Before we cleaned up, I decided to use the restroom because I hadn't had a chance to go all night. Instead of using the main restroom where everybody was huddled, I went into the administrative building to use the private employee bathroom just because it was much cleaner and more private. The lights in this building were motion sensor and would go out if it didn't sense any movement for five minutes. I went to the bathroom, washed my hands, fixed my makeup and my hair. As I left the bathroom, I had a feeling of somebody following me or was behind me. I reached to grab my phone and realized I left it in the bathroom. So I turned around, walking back into the woman's room, and that's when I saw him. Drake was standing in the ladies' bathroom, holding my cell phone. I freaked out and said, Drake, that's my phone. Can you please give it back to me? What were you doing in the women's room? He was just smiling at me with his yellow teeth. I'll never forget what he said next. Now we can be together, Dana. It's just the two of us. And after this sentence, he came at me quickly. He wasn't running. He just made a quick motion in my direction and almost power walked towards me. Much quicker than I assumed he could move. As I moved away from him, he continued to yell. Just come back, Dana. I ran out towards the last of the few employees left within the zoo and told them what happened. Everybody told me I was jumping into conclusions and he was just trying to give me my phone back and stuff like that. If that's the case, then why was he in the women's bathroom, in a building that wasn't even being used that night? One of my co-workers finally spoke up to my defense and stated that she had noticed that Drake seemed to be following me around for most of the night, and noticed that neither of us were with the rest of the group, but knew we were still on the clock. She mentioned she was going to head towards the bathroom because she knew I went over that way and hadn't yet returned. A few co-workers walked back over to the bathroom with me and... We found my phone on the ground with no sign of Drake. The rest of the night concluded either incident, but I did file an official complaint to my boss. A couple of weeks went by without any real issues. I began thinking to myself, maybe I was overreacting and maybe Drake was just trying to help me. Fast forward to one night when I was getting ready to leave the zoo for the night at around 6pm. I walked all the way to my car and there he was. Drake was actually in my back seat, not hiding at all, just sitting in my back seat like a passenger. Instead of flipping out, I just decided to very quickly and quietly run back inside and call the authorities. This time, there was no mistaking it. He had broken into my car and was just sitting in it. I called the cops and they arrived and found that the only thing he had on him was trash bags and duct tape. They detained him, but I'm not sure if he was actually arrested perhaps because he broke into my car. I'm not entirely sure what happened after that. I quit that job the next day, even though it was the first job I ever actually loved. I have since moved out of that state, and am thankful that I never have to worry about running into Drake again. 
So this is a story that happened to me several years ago while I was still in college. I used to babysit on the weekends for some extra cash. On this particular day, I had to babysit a five-year-old girl that we'll call Mary and her two-year-old brother that we'll call Ronnie. It was a beautiful, sunny spring day, so I decided to take the kids to the zoo. Ronnie was still a handful, so I had to have a stroller for him, but Mary was very tall and well-behaved for her age, so she needed to stay close to me. Once we go to the zoo, it proved to be more of a challenge than I thought. Ronnie didn't want to stay in the stroller, and Mary was so excited I couldn't keep her from running all around the zoo every time she saw a new animal. Within minutes, I was super embarrassed because Mary, with all her running and dancing around, she accidentally bumped into a very tall gentleman. The man was super nice and charming about it. He looked at Mary and, in a really smooth and sweet voice, said, Hey, don't worry about it, sweetie. Accidents happen and then looked at me and winked. Relieved that he wasn't some jerk, I said thank you and walked away. About an hour in, I was already exhausted from trying to keep the two kids calm. Ronnie started to act up, and I had trouble calming him down. I turned around after only a minute, and Mary was gone. She was just sitting on the bench next to me. I'm not even a parent, but the feeling of losing a child in such a huge place made me sick. I thought I was going to cry and throw up at the same time. I started to scream her name in absolute panic, the loudest I think I have ever screamed in my entire life. After what seemed like hours, but actually was only a couple of minutes, I spotted Mary from across the way. She was with the man from before. They were standing in front of a mountain goat exhibit and was pointing to the animals at the top of the mountain. I ran over and screamed, Hey, what do you think you're doing? The man turned and put his hands up and stated in a smooth voice, Whoa, 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 easy there, ma'am. I saw young Mary here walking alone and just wanted to make sure she got back to you without raising any alarm bells for the poor girl, I promise. Not sure if that was the truth, and honestly, I didn't care. I grabbed Mary's arm and started to walk away. We left the zoo at that moment. I was so scared and just felt sick to my stomach about the whole thing. I was, however, somewhat relieved that everyone was safe, and that was honestly the most important thing. As I was getting the kids all situated in the car, I noticed that the same guy was standing outside the entrance of the zoo, staring at my car. He was waving, so I pretended I didn't see him. That night, the kids went back home, and I left out the part about the creepy man when I told the parents about the zoo. I didn't think it really needed to be said as the events of that day were traumatic enough and, to be fair, maybe he did just see her walking alone and was trying to help. Either way, I still got a major creeper vibe from him. All night long I thought about this situation and what I should have done differently and how something could have happened to those poor innocent children. I couldn't help but feel so guilty and upset. I cried for most of the night. Still feeling sick to my stomach, I decided I wanted to go see my boyfriend. He literally lived three houses away, and I could quietly walk out the back door without waking my parents. As I walked out of my back door quietly and started to make my way to the back gate, my heart stopped. The man from the zoo was outside of my house. He was looking into my bedroom window. He didn't see me by some miracle, and I ran to my boyfriend's house, called him, and hid on his front porch. Thankfully, my boyfriend called the police, and they were there in almost three minutes flat. 
The guy was arrested for trespassing, and I can honestly say I had no clue who this man was, but he seemed to want to find out more about me. I still have nightmares about this event and wonder what this person's intentions were. I'm just thankful that nothing else worse happened that night. So let me start this story by telling you that the events of this story are something I can never fully explain. To this day, I'm still not sure if I believe what I saw with my own eyes. I'm hoping that sharing this story will bring some answers or suggestions as to what I may have experienced. This story happened last summer. I live in the Midwestern United States. My hometown has a lot of beautiful sights to see and is frequented by tourists for the views and subsequent nature. In close proximity to my house is a local zoo. If you cut through a small wooded area behind my backyard, it would lead to a fence that surrounded the aforementioned zoo. I don't know if this particular fence led to any animal exhibits. I think if you went far enough, you would get to another fence that had goats or something. That fence, from what I remember, was impossible to climb. It was either electric or too tall to manage. The fence that could be found from the small wooded area was easy enough to climb. A few close friends were home from college and we decided that we were going to sneak over the first fence. We didn't want to do anything bad, we just loved the idea of the thrill of being in or near the zoo in the middle of the night. Apparently some of the other people that we were there with knew a way to actually get into the zoo from the wooded area, avoiding the second fence that I had mentioned earlier. Well, one night, six of us decided to walk through the zoo. Getting in was actually much easier than I thought it would be. Sometimes when you go to the zoo, the animals just lay around and bask in the sun, and they tell you at night they are much more active. Well, on this night, most of the animals that were usually out were not, and it was much more quiet than I expected. We wanted to walk by the wolves because at night they were usually really active, and it would be cool to see. But as we walked by the wolves, they weren't so much howling as they were crying and whimpering. It was almost disturbing to hear and made us feel uncomfortable, like they were in pain or scared or something. We kept walking and just felt off about the entire experience. After a few more minutes, we decided to turn around and go home. The fun, thrilling time that we had thought it would be didn't seem to live up to the expectations. My one friend thought we should go by the wolves one more time to see if they were acting more normal. As we turned the corner and looked into the exhibit, I saw something that I can still to this day not comprehend. There was a gigantic beast, I don't know what else to call it, maybe about five or six foot, standing on two legs. It looked like the wolf kind of, but had some characteristics of a human. When I say wolf-like, I mean it had the head of a wolf, it seemed like, a huge snout with what looked like razor-sharp teeth, but it stood on two legs like a human. As a result of standing on its legs is what made the beast look massively huge. It smelled horrible, almost like rotten eggs or sulfur. It didn't make much noise, but the wolves in the exhibit were snarling and howling so loudly that we had to cover our ears. We all stood in collective panic, not understanding what we were seeing. Without even thinking, and we just ran. We ran as fast as we could and we thought we could hear something chasing us through the trees, but we still just ran and didn't even care. We arrived at my house and locked the door. We were all obviously freaked out and 
kept stating that we couldn't shake the sulfuric smell. It felt like it was attached to our clothes somehow. Nothing of notes ever happened again regarding this event. We tried to just shake it off and chalk it up to something logical. We haven't gone back to the zoo yet, and honestly, I don't think I will ever go back there again. If anybody has any insight as to what we may have seen, please let me know. I don't remember any other physical traits other than what I had already mentioned and that horrible, horrible smell. I will try and include as many details as I can from this experience. About five years ago, I was concluding my freshman year of college. I was the type of student who always got good grades and was never in trouble. I think I got detention in high school once and probably cried about it. With said personality trait, very rarely did I do anything that was outside of my comfort zone. But I was human and in college, so obviously I had made some stupid mistakes. Well, none more stupid than the situation I am about to describe. I had about a week left on campus before returning home for the summer. Since I wouldn't see most of my college friends until fall, I wanted to spend as much time as I could with them before I went home. About 15 minutes from our campus is an old abandoned zoo. The zoo was apparently a huge attraction back in the 1960s, but by the 80s the zoo couldn't afford to keep its doors open and eventually shut down. Over the next couple of decades, the zoo had just sat there rotting and remaining mostly untouched. However, I believe that many of the cages and pathways still remain and are not quite overgrown. On campus, it's also been a running story or rumor that there are ghosts and other nefarious things that dwell in the zoo, and that's why it remains untouched. My friends and I were major skeptics and didn't buy this local legend one bit, the only reason it was abandoned and still standing is because no one wanted to spend the money to tear it down. We thought since we only had about a week left, we would go to the zoo and explore. One of my friends wanted to film the field trip to prove that the ghost and goblins theory was completely non-sane. I obviously tried to talk everyone out of it because I thought we would get caught and then arrested for trespassing. But I was outvoted and didn't want to seem like I was afraid, so I went along with the plan. Around 9 or 10 p.m. we went and got some late night fast food and then proceeded to make our way towards the zoo. The front entrance obviously had several large locks, but how its facility was designed made it easy to get in. You first entered a parking lot, and then from the parking lot you could walk up to the main entrance. Obviously you could no longer really see most of the parking lot, but you could see the welcoming fence embroidered with shrubbery. All he had to do was be careful and climb over the tall rusted fence. I think it was able to deter most people with the same idea because the fence was pretty high and a misstep or fall could have caused an injury, possibly something serious. As we walked around the zoo at night filming and trying to snap pictures in the dark, we were all quietly laughing and joking, probably to cut some of the tension as we were technically breaking the law. As we approached the back of the zoo, we went into an old building that either served as some kind of bird exhibit or perhaps a reptile habitat. Once in the building, we noticed a door that had light shining from the bottom of it, which made absolutely no sense as the zoo had been closed for decades. My one friend laughed and yelled, There's the ghost, we found it. He insisted that we check it out, even though I had a sinking feeling in my stomach that we should just leave. 
My other friend Joey thankfully spoke up and suggested that we do in fact leave and not proceed any further. It's easy to say what you think we would do in a situation like this, but when you're young and with your friends, you don't always choose the most logical decision. We decided to proceed and try to open the door. It was unlocked and we immediately noticed it was a steep staircase that led down into a very illuminated room. This room at the bottom of the stairs was completely new. Well, new in comparison to the dilapidated zoo. The room had computers and other strange looking hard drive server type things everywhere. It looked like something straight out of a movie. In the back of the room was a glass window. We tentatively approached the glass and looked through. It was another room with cages in them, dozens of cages. There we saw monkeys, cats, dogs, birds, and even fish, all with numbers and letters above each cage. On the far right of that room was an entire wall of creepy animals. I could see snakes, lizards, and tarantulas. Next to this glass window was a big wraparound desk with tons of papers with equations and other mathematical symbols. There were tons of papers that looked to be printed from a computer that was illegible just symbols. Next to this desk was a door. As we all stared at our surroundings just absolutely in awe at whatever this was, we noticed that the door cracked open and made a squeaking sound. We darted out of sight and hid behind a big, what I believed to be, server. In behind the door walked three men, two middle-aged men with white lab coats on. Both men had scruffy beards and long hair. The other basically was the complete opposite a younger-looking guy with dirty blonde, slick back hair. He had a very nice suit on and was not adorned with a lab coat. He asked the two men in the white jackets, so how's everything going with progress? And the one man responded with a very soft and almost nervous voice, well, it's going very well. A couple of setbacks, but we're almost there. The man in the suit looked annoyed and said, well, I'm here to see a test. Both men in the white lab coats looked at each other and just kind of nodded. The man in the suit walked over to the window and stared through it rather intently, and the two walked over to a computer and said, Okay, well here we go then. At that moment we heard an extremely loud noise and major vibrations coming from beyond the window. There were tons of light being emitted from the window. We looked at each other and knew that this was our chance, so we ran as quietly as we could. We sprinted out to the car and left as fast as we could. I slept horribly for the next week not knowing what we saw that night and if we ended up leaving undetected. It's been a few years now since those events and there thankfully have been no further incident. I know how improbable and impossible this story sounds. I've told this story a couple of times to groups and friends online and even my now fiancé, but no one has ever believed me so I seldom ever bring it up. It wasn't until a couple of weeks ago when I read something on the internet about gene splicing and something about animal hybrids, it got me thinking about that night. Did we really see some type of experiment? I guess my only advice is that if you think something is wrong and doesn't seem right, chances you're probably right. We stumbled across something on accident and by chance and were lucky enough to get out of there without further consequence. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell to be alerted of all future narrations. If you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, r let's read official, and give and receive feedback from the community.
and maybe even hear your story featured on the next video. And join my Discord to interact with me and other listeners directly. And if you want to support me even more, grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt. Links in the bio. Thanks so much, friends, and I'll see you again soon.